0: Is my prayer
1: in the fire, in weakness or
2: trial or Good morning, welcome to Conroe Bible Church. We are glad that you're here and we invite you to come in and get a seat. It's our privilege to uh, worship together as a church family in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we are glad that you are here to do that with us. I've got a couple of announcements of things that are coming up that are exciting, that involve, uh, especially these first few involve relational uh, time together, building uh, relationships and uh, that eventually can lead to discipleship. So the first thing we've got is a men's retreat uh, Friday through Saturday. We're joining uh, Winwood Presbyterian out at uh, Camp Tejas in Giddings. So if you would like to be a part of that, you can find that on the church center app and you can register there. If you have any questions, you can ask uh, any of the leadership, we can point you in that, that direction. And then uh, also on Friday night, we have a woman's gathering. It is the uh, movie night. Friday, September 17th, and it's uh, it's a great time. It, no matter what kind of community you're involved, small group, ABF, this is a great time for all the women to come together to get to know older and younger generations and to build relationships that, again, can lead to discipleship. It's gonna be a very intriguing movie, a, a difficult one. It's gonna be the movie Priceless, uh, raising the topic of human trafficking, but a great opportunity, again, to uh, gather together and to delve into that issue uh, under the Lord's guidance. And then uh also this week the women's bible study starts on Thursday morning again you and then, uh, we have up in the coming uh Okay. Yeah to send out a couples enrichment. So if you thought we were middle school because we're doing men's retreat and and women's movie night, um, we're actually doing something for couples in October. It's gonna be a prepare and rich uh, marriage assessment checkup. It's gonna be something that will really bring uh, some empowerment to your marriage. Uh, So just that's a heads up, be aware that that is coming up. And then speaking of marriage, uh, we haven't formally announced, but Michael Benefield and Cindy Scott are engaged. If you guys would stand. Excited for you guys, and they're looking at a November uh, wedding. So, uh, let, let's uh, start together with uh, Psalm 34:3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together let's pray lord jesus what a joy it is to come together to lift up your name in praise uh to let your name lift up our hearts because we come with scattered lives broken lives uh, triumphant lives at times we thank you that we can turn to you and so we cling to you we want to learn from
0: you Would you stand and sing with us.
3: today see the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone Your you You. Mm-hmm. Father, we just come to you this morning. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We thank you for this time together with friends and family. Thank you for this time of worship, Father. Some of us may come to you broken, Lord, but we all come to you grateful, Father, for your grace and mercy that's upon our lives, Lord. We just ask for anointing upon the message that Chris is delivering this morning, Father God, and we thank you for the leadership in this church that Uh, has the wisdom in the heart to seek you first before advising us, Father God. Uh, We just ask all these things in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Y'all can release the kids to uh, Sunshine Kids Club now. And Chris will deliver the message.
1: I won't. Good morning. morning. How many of you expected to see me doing this this morning? My next question is, is this is a serious question, is how many of you have actually been to a church where the worship guy gets to preach and gets to preach about something other than worship? (laughs) Feedback. Anybody? I didn't pick this topic. Dave, Dave picked this topic. I'm I'm mostly kidding. I, I, I really, I really am the one that picked this topic, um, with Dave's help. Um, But the the hardest part about doing sermons for me is always, it's always how to start. Where do, where do you begin? Where do you, where do you begin with this? And, and if, you, if you've ever been taught how to do this in school, they tell you to start with an illustration, an illustration that, that can set the tone for the whole rest of the message. So I'm going to do that and it's actually a rather old illustration. And um, you may have heard it before. So if you have heard it before, I would ask that you withhold any laughter or giggles until the end when it's appropriate to laugh. And giggle. Okay, so there was an old farmer who went into the city one weekend to attend a big church. Unusual for him because he was used to his little country church. And when he got home and he met his wife, she said, well, how did it go? And he said, it was good, but they did something different. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. And she said, what's a praise chorus? This is how you know this joke's old. We don't call them that anymore. That's what they called them way back. He said, well, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns. They're just a little bit different. And she said, what's the difference? And he said, well, take this for example. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I was going to say that as a praise chorus, I would say, Martha... Martha, Martha, oh, Martha, (laughs) Martha, Martha. The cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the black and white cows, all the cows, they're in the corn, the corn, the corn. (laughs) They're in the corn. And then if we were to repeat that a few times, that would be a praise chorus. And as luck would have it, the exact same Sunday, a young man from a church in the city decided to go out into the country to visit a small church. And when he got home, his wife said, how did it go? And he said, it went pretty well. They did something different. However, they sang hymns instead of regular songs. And she said, hymns? What's a hymn? He said, they're sort of like regular songs, just a little bit different. And she said, what's the difference? And he said, well, take this for instance. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. If on the other hand, I said, Martha, oh, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest my ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? <laughs> there in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's son or his reign, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. <laughs> yea, <Yay>, those, co- <laughs> those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight. Have broken free from their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. <laughs> then goaded by minions of darkness at night, they all, in mild—I don't know what this word is <laughs> <chili> whack, <laughs> sweet corn chewed. So look to that bright shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn where no vicious animal makes my soul cry and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. <laughs> then if we just did verse 1 and 3 and 4, <laughs> well, that would be him. I feel like that's been my life. I've been doing worship for almost... Uh, for more than 20 years. I know what you're thinking. You look too young. <laughs> you couldn't have done this for that long. And you're right. I skew the math a little bit. <clears throat> um, but what I would like to uh, to talk to you about this morning is worship, um, but not just worship alone, worship and relationships, worship and relationships, because I think these two things are, are inherently tied together. And um, so So this this morning, let me start. um, Now that you know we're talking about uh, worship and relationships, let me start um, with what you might feel like is out of left field. Okay, I'm going to come over here for it. It was uh, it was 13 years ago, 13 years ago this week that my first child was born. Um, I can't believe I'm about to have a 13 year old. and he's as big as I am, uh, just minus, looks like me, minus the beard, <clears throat> bright red hair. And uh, about about uh, two weeks um, after he was born was when we got to bring him home. Um, when he was born, he somehow had pneumonia and they didn't figure it out. So he spent two days trying to breathe on his own, two days trying to survive Um, working so hard to breathe that he was damaging things in his lungs. And when they finally figured it out, um, they had to take him to another hospital in another city. Um, And we weren't discharged yet. So it was going to be a little bit for us to go and see him. And uh, so we had to go through a lot of uncertainty and, and stress and worry and concern, which drew us closer to one another and closer to God through the whole ordeal. And there were things that happened through that process that I still am amazed I went through. I couldn't believe that I was experiencing some of these things. And maybe they, maybe they come natural, naturally to some of you people that are better folks than I am. But one of the things I just could not believe was how much I loved this guy. I couldn't believe it. And when, when I think back, I remember thinking, this, this kid is the most beautiful kid I've ever seen. And I, 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 I finally admitted to one person, I wonder if other people are gonna be jealous. <laughs> look at how good looking he is. And I look back at pictures now and he looks like Gollum. <laughs> but I thought he was beautiful. I couldn't believe how much I loved this person. And what was more than that, I couldn't believe how much I loved that Jenny loved this person. And we didn't even get to take him home yet. We were just going to a hospital to visit him. I spent so much time before Blaine was born, praying for him, praying that he would be like his mom, that he wouldn't have the rebellious tendencies that his dad had, that his mom is so well-behaved. And the the worst thing she ever did was spill a glass of milk, be like, be like your mom. I'm praying that Blaine will be like his mom. And he is so much like his mom, Um, such an answer to prayer. And um, when he was uh, one and two, we, uh, we tried to structure things um, to get him fed and in bed on time and he responded well to everything, which naturally I thought was because we were great parents. And we had this thing figured out and I was so distracted by what a great parent I was. I think I, I may have forgotten to pray for Chase. And <laughs> Chase, Chase, Chase takes after his dad. You guys pray for us. <clears throat> Next month, he's gonna be 10. But those are my kids. Those are, those are two people, um, and I've got a third one I'll talk about later, but those are two people I love more than anybody in this world. And the thing that sticks out the most to me about them coming into being is how much I loved that Jenny loved them too. I don't think I had ever experienced wanting somebody else to love somebody I love so much that I recognized it. I started doing worship when I was 19. I had been playing the guitar for two weeks. It was awful. But I had just stopped playing baseball, and I had lots of time on my hands with nothing to do, And I mean like 12 to 13 hours a day of nothing to do that I was giving to baseball that was no longer being given there. And I'm trying to come up with something to do. I don't, my friends are there. My friends aren't here anymore. Um, so what do I do? So I learned to play the guitar. So I made considerable, pro- considerable progress in two weeks, and I had an opportunity to help lead worship um, and discovered that I might have some sort of gifting or talent here that God has given me that might be worth looking into. And I was so surprised by it not just because of the progress that I made, but out of nowhere, I ran into somebody on campus who literally I'm walking down the sidewalk through campus and another guy is walking opposite me and just stops me and says, hey, have you ever been to a Bible study? And I said, nope. And he goes, we need somebody to lead worship for it. That really happened to me. That's how I got involved in worship. This wasn't my plan. I wasn't looking to this since I was a kid. This was, I had no plan B with my life. So when plan A finally ran out, I was, I was literally not knowing what's gonna happen next. What happened to me was another person that walked into my life and changed the direction and the course of my adulthood and my, my walk with God and, and subsequently my ministry for no better reason than he felt compelled to just ask if I'd ever been to a Bible study. And I said, as it turns out, I've been playing the guitar for a while. I think I can probably help you. And he goes, how long have you been playing? I play too. And I said, two weeks. (laughs) And he went, oh, well, maybe we're moving too fast on this. I really did get involved. um, And I spent the next four years doing college ministry because of that. And I learned that I have a, a, a pretty passionate heart about worship. And when I say it that way, and you know what I do here at CBC, you might be thinking I'm talking about music. And I'm not. I have a heart for worship. And what I mean when I say that is I mean we can honor God with our lives. You see, when I ran out of plan A and baseball came to an end, I had nothing. And when I look back over half of my lifetime ago and I go, man, this really wasn't the big deal I thought it was, but back then, it was an incredibly big deal. If I died today, that was technically my midlife crisis, mathematically. Yep. (laughs) I had nothing. I didn't have another option. I didn't know where I was gonna go. And worship was appealing to me because the way I was taught about worship was I was told, all you have to do is come and give yourself to God. And I thought, he's not getting much, but if that's all I've got to do, I can do that. I don't have anything to offer. I got two weeks worth of guitar. I don't have anything to offer, but I can give that to God. I think all of us live in that place. What we have, we can give to God. I've learned as a parent that one of the things that scares me most is not knowing how my children are gonna be treated. I'm not a helicopter parent um, or a lawnmower parent or whatever other piece of technology we've assigned to parenthood. At this point, I'm a pretty free range type guy. I want my kids to get a chance to go out and get hurt um, and to get in trouble and to learn from all of it, and I'm even willing to facilitate some of that trouble. (laughs) But I want that for them. What I don't want for them is for other people to be mean to them. So one of the crazy dilemmas that if you have kids, I'm sure you've encountered is, how do you deal with other kids? And I don't mean like when they're at school and not around you, I mean, when they're in your front yard. And you know, if I take care of this the way my dad would have taken care of this, the neighbors might be watching. I mean, how do you deal with adults that treat your kids a certain way, or the potential that adults might treat your kids a certain way? A couple of weeks ago, my youngest child, um, who is four, had an appointment to have some of her teeth um, checked out and fillings put in. And uh, I got to take her to this appointment, which is unusual because my superhero wife does all of this stuff. And I just, it happened to happen on my day off. So uh, I got to go with her. And the way that this was gonna work out was they're gonna give her a sedative This is what they tell me. They're going to give her a sedative. It's not going to knock her out. It's just going to help her to not remember this experience. And my antenna went, (laughs) what? It's going to help her to not remember this experience. And then they said, so once that's gone into effect, we'll take her back and you can wait in the waiting room. And I said, no, I will not be waiting in the waiting room. And they said, well, all the parents do that. And I said, I'm not all the parents. (laughs) I'm going to be with her or we can cancel the appointment. I'm not gonna do that. And I know, uh, because I really genuinely believe these people were up to good, um, that what their concern was is that this, this procedure is going to alarm me and I'm going to cause trouble. That's not what I was concerned about. My concern was, I know they're gonna strap her down I know at some point she's going to be uncomfortable and she's gonna be hard to deal with. And she's four pounds, I mean, she's four years old and she weighs like 20 pounds. I don't know, how much does she weigh? 27 27 pounds. Um, And she is mean as a snake. (laughs) And now she's going to be under the influence of drugs (laughs) so that she can't remember and they don't want me to be there. I'm afraid that that whole mixture of household chemicals is going to create a bomb that looks like she's hard to deal with and it frustrates them. And now they're gonna be in a position where they don't know how to deal with her. That's what I was concerned with. But I couldn't get that out. It was one of those moments that like 20 minutes later, I had all the right things to say. But I just finally said, look, I'm willing to take her home. I'll stay in the corner and I'll stay out of your way. And halfway through the procedure, I started praying for this person that's working on my daughter because she is a wreck and she's horrible to deal with. And she's under the influence so she won't remember anything. And I know perfectly well, Um, her frustration was increasing. I was afraid of how they were going to treat my kid. I didn't want it to go poorly. What I'm afraid of, even more than that, what takes me from happy to angry, skip sad altogether, happy to angry is when my kids treat my kids poorly. And here's how I handle it because I don't know what to do. Like, spoiler alert if you don't have kids yet, none of us know what we're doing. We're just sort of playing along as things unfold and we might have had somebody give us some advice and it might come to us it probably won't until after the fact and we've messed up but we're just trying to figure this out as we go along so here's what I do when my kids are mean to one another I get down to their level I don't mean my behavior (laughs) I get down to where I'm eye level with them and for my oldest one that just means I'm standing up But for Laurel, who's mean as a snake, I've got to get down low. I get down low and I draw them in close to me. And I tell them, I do not want you to be mean to him because that is my son. I love him. And I love you. And I don't want anybody treating my children this way. <clears throat> I told you we were going to talk about worship, right? Where we're going to talk about ro- worship is in Romans chapter 12. There's, I have a ton of favorite passages in the Bible on worship. This one's probably at the top of my list. And you may have it, you may have it memorized The one that I have memorized, I have the word beseeched in. I use that word nowhere else in my life, (laughs) beseeched. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some of you may have a version that says your spiritual act of worship or your spiritual worship. This word right here um, that is translated into reasonable or in some translations spiritual, it's a word where uh, where we get the meaning from rational. This is thoughtful, intentional. This wasn't just a winging it, this was actual based on everything that you know about. The information you have, this is the reasonable thing to do which leads me backward in Romans. It leads me backward in Romans because this, I think, is the first place in the book of Romans where Paul finally tells the Romans something to do. It took him 11 chapters to get to that point. And strangely enough, most of what he's talking about has to do with relationship. So, We're going to go through Romans chapter 1 through 11 in like a minute. So if you're a note taker, prepare to write furiously. Because this is a big book. Romans chapter 1 is the chapter where Paul establishes that the gospel is at the forefront of his mind. Chapter 1 is the chapter in which Paul says he's not ashamed of this gospel. It's the chapter in which Paul says that men have turned away from the wisdom of God, and now God has given them over to these desires. Chapter 2 goes this way. Chapter 2 is the chapter where Paul is saying judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God's righteous judgment is coming. Because we've all turned away, which is what chapter three is about. All have sinned, all have sinned. And then Paul starts to sprinkle in these elements of what he's, what he's going to culminate in. Just in this first section, he says, all have sinned. And you know that you probably have that memorized Romans three twenty three. Do you have 24 memorized? That's one worth memorizing. Who are justified freely by his grace. We've all sinned, and will be justified freely. Chapter four is when Paul rec- he references Abraham, and that faith, this faith that he's calling us to, is not something new. It's something we saw with Abraham. Abraham was called to faith, and because of Abraham's faith, he was counted as righteous. Chapter five is Paul reiterating that while we have still been sinners, Christ died for us. At the end of chapter 5 is where Paul says, in the last 10 or so verses, he says, death came through one man, came through Adam, but life has come through Jesus. This is the relationship of God and humanity. And God did something about it. When we were at our worst, when the time was right, God came down to our level. He got right up in our face where you could see the wetness of his eyes. He came down in the flesh for us to meet with us because we were broken, unable to save ourselves, unable to help ourselves. That's what our father has done for us. Paul goes on and he says, this grace, this grace that has been given to you, I'm going to bet you're going to think now, well, if God just continues to give us grace, can't we just keep sinning so we get more of it? This is what scares me about Chase, my son. That's exactly what I would say. Of course, that's not what we need to do. Chapter six is the ones that it's the chapter where Paul says, um, "Don't use the members of your body for unrighteousness. Use your body for righteousness." Chapter seven is the one many of us recall because we relate so well to the fact that Paul said, "The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the ones that I do." Paul admitting that he still struggles with all of this stuff. He still struggles with sin. Even though God has come down for us, Paul still struggles this way. Chapter 8 begins with the famous verse that many of us have memorized, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then a few verses later, you see that he's talking about those that are walking with Jesus and not according to the flesh. There is good reason not to continue sinning just because grace will abound. Chapter 9, Paul takes another relational turn and he focuses on Israel and he confesses his heart for his people who have missed Jesus. He says that Israel pursued the righteousness of the law not the righteousness of faith. In chapter 10, he says that Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. And in chapter chapter 11, he seems to say that if they will continue not in their unbelief, that they'll be grafted in as well. Why is this important? The story of relationship with God and humanity, God and the world, and God and the people that he chose that we read all about in the Old Testament is because the relationship he has with his children matter. So when Paul finally gets to 12, when he finally gets to 12 and he says, I beseech you, therefore, my family, by the mercies of God, the mercies that you are seeing through this whole story to present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. So that's where we talk about worship, right? In this one verse in, in Romans chapter one, there are three things I think we see about worship, three things. The first thing is worship is a choice. It's a choice you have to make. Paul used a word that the word I would say is implore. I think some of the translations say implore or beg. I beg you, present your bodies to God. You have to make that choice. You can't be drug into it. You can't be fooled into it. You can't just go through the motions. You have to make a choice to worship. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that worship is a continual, is continual selflessness. Where do I get that? I get that out of the living sacrifice phrase. See, the nature of a sacrifice was this was killed, this animal was killed, it's placed on the altar and it's burned. It's not coming down after that. It's not useful for anything after that, it's dead. It's only fit at that point to be consumed. You are to be a living sacrifice, one that does not die. One that does not crawl down, but continues to choose, continues to choose sacrifice. You have to choose to be a living sacrifice. One that continues in what God wants. The third thing we see there in in chapter 12, verse 1, is that worship is in alignment with God's heart. We're told that by doing this, this is holy and acceptable. We use that word holy of God himself. It means altogether other, altogether different, set aside, set apart. We are to be that. Our worship is to be unique. And it's to be acceptable, which suggests that there is worship that's not. There's worship that is not acceptable That shouldn't be a surprise, right? We've seen some of those things in scripture. Like here are a few. In Mark five, this is one of my favorite ones, actually. Mark five, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus has just gotten off a boat. It's the boat where the storm is happening and the disciples think they're about to die. So they wake him up and Jesus calms it and says, peace, be still. Um, He gets off the boat. The first thing he runs into is a demon possessed man. The way the demon-possessed man is described is that nobody could, nobody could, uh, could stop this guy, that he would cut himself with, with pots and, and he was in chains and he would wail. And when he sees Jesus from afar, he runs to him and he falls on the ground. And some of your translations say he worships him. Other translations are gonna just say he bowed down before him. It's the word where we get prostrate. And he says, what have I to do with you, son of the most high God? And in that, just in that statement, I say, that sounds like worship to me. He knows who Jesus is and he knows who he is. And he suggests he knows who he is by saying, what have I got to do with you? Please don't torment me. But we know that's not the kind of worship Jesus wants. That's not acceptable. Another one of my favorite passages comes out of Isaiah chapter 53. Let me let me just read to you a little bit of this one. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter, uh, I said 53, I mean 58. That's what I meant. Go where I'm thinking. (laughs) This is what parenting's like. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And they say, why have we fasted? You have not seen it. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Fasting is a form of worship. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It is, a fa- is, is it a fast I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? To get, this is to get attention. Would you call this a fast? and an acceptable day to the Lord? Obviously the answer is no. And then God says this in verse six, or the prophet says this from God, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you should bring into your house the poor who are cast out. When you see them naked and that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing like springs speedily broken forth and your righteousness shall go before you. Their fasting was not okay. What God wanted was something different. What God wanted was somebody to bridge the gap. To bridge the gap between this notion that God deserves worship and that there's a relationship going on here with people. So we get to chapter 12. Paul finally has something to say for us to do. And he asks us to present our bodies to him, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. What's the application here? What, what is it that you can do about this? That's the whole rest of chapter 12. The whole rest of chapter 12 brings together this notion of worship and relationship because that's what God wants. That is what is pleasing to him. That is what is acceptable to him. So let me, let me read some of chapter 12, and I'll make some comments while I'm reading through it. But listen to this. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be like them. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can prove that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. What God wants you to do, that is acceptable. It doesn't get better than what God is asking you to do. What is He asking us to do? Verse three For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly. He's just told these people about the failure of Israel that they're still trying to gain righteousness through the law instead of faith. Don't think that you're better. You know how we do this today is we, we judge other people because they struggle with sin we don't struggle with, and we think we're better. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Verse four, we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, having individu- or being ind- individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given us. God has made us each unique and a part of the same body. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is giving us, given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophecy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with uh, liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Let me stop right there. Because the joke at the beginning of the message about the hymns and the new songs, that's not a joke. Did you know that for a while that was the number one reason churches split? that doesn't sound at all like being kindly affectionate to one another giving preference to one another and don't hear me if if you have a preference don't hear me saying your preference is wrong you love hymns i love hymns too you know what i had to grow through to love hymns growing up in a church that i hated you know what you have to grow through in order to love new songs learning that you you love people at church who love them. This is a relationship that has to happen. Don't lack in in doing diligence. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be steadfast in prayer. Distribute to the needs of the saints be given to hospitality. And here's a hard one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Here's another hard one. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Give place to God's wrath. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. We live in a really hard world right now where it is awfully tempting to respond to the things that we know or are convinced are wrong with evil. To treat people less than, to treat them with love less than we would give anybody else. Here's here's where these two things come together. As people who love God, how are you treating his children? How are you treating the ones he loves? Because you can't get out of this by saying, well, they're they're not Christians. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe would have have eternal life in him. How are you treating others? If you want your worship to be acceptable, you have to bridge the gap between worship and relationship. You can't keep these separate. One of the things that made me nervous about adopting, my youngest is adopted was I wondered, am I going to love this this little person differently than I love my own children? You know, because when I grew up, like that's what that's what we said to one another to be mean. Like, you know, I'd say to my brother, you're adopted. And that, that necessarily meant mom and dad don't love you as much, which is so, so the opposite of my experience. I think if I have to choose, I'm choosing the girl. <laughs> you know, I love the boys, but... Y'all take care of yourselves. It was such the opposite. The one the one that I adopted is the one I'm the most protective of. You are adopted. And there are people in this world, there are people in this church, there are people in our community who God wants to adopt the way that you treat them directly impacts whether or not your worship is acceptable. What I want to be is a worshiper who offers God worship that is acceptable, that is pleasing. I hope that you will join me in efforting that way. We live in a difficult circumstance, in a difficult world where things probably aren't gonna get easier. It doesn't change our role. You can't separate loving God and loving others. These things go together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for the illustrations in our lives that allow us to see and gain insights into the relationship that we have with you. Father, I pray that you would make us brave You would make us brave to face situations that are hard. Um, You would make us brave to, to deal with circumstances in which people are difficult to love. I pray that you would give us hearts and minds that are focused and set on you, that we would step out willingly and do what we believe is what you would have us do. I pray you would make us worshipers who offer you something that is holy, and acceptable. I pray that you would make us worshipers that are living sacrifices. I pray that you would help us make that choice every day. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Would you stand with us, please, in worship?